You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Thank you for listening. We're just going to show a short video of a familiar Christmas film. Heads up! Don't worry, Marv, I'll get him for you. There we go. Who knows what the film is? Home Alone. One of the, um, I was just watching a documentary on it uh, recently, one of the most highest grossing films of all time. But um, yeah, just so most of you would have seen it. One of my most favourite Christmas films. So before I get to that this morning, um, I want to tell you a little bit of a story. I, um, on whenever it was, probably Friday or probably Saturday afternoon, I like to look over my sermon and do some just last minute thinking around the notes. I usually run some points by Mez and um, check some certain things, and then, and I thought to myself, this might be the most amazing slides I've ever done in the history of ministry, and these might be the best notes I've ever, I can't believe, thank you God for what you've blessed me with this Sunday, and so I rock up today, and of course, first time in eight years of ministry, uh, my computer just doesn't turn on, um, so it's updated itself, so you won't get to see those slides today unfortunately um, even though they were the best I've ever done and <laughs> so be disappointed um, so I don't know what God's trying to teach me I might be a little scattered today I don't have any sort of that's my notes this morning quickly writing them down but I think God might be trying to teach me something either he wants me to rely on him or he wants me to upload my slides to Dropbox um, I'm not sure the lesson but bear with me this morning as Maybe I'm a little bit more scattered than I normally am as I rethink what I'd prepared or what God had led us to prepare 
and led me to repair this morning. So let me pull out my notes, extensive notes. But we're going to come back to that video in a moment. But we're going through this theme, this Advent season, uh, going through this idea, and it showed before the presence and the presence of God. A play on the word around the fact that when you think about the very first Christmas, you think about something that had been prophesied hundreds of times for thousands of years. You think about something that was apparently so obvious that there were angels in the sky and a star that people could follow. And yet on the very first Christmas, it's in the back of a cave There's a couple of smelly shepherds and we know the wise men found their way a little later on and found Jesus. Everyone missed it. The very first Christmas, everyone was too busy doing census or too busy with their own issues or too blind that they missed the very first Christmas. And I can't help but reflect on the fact 2019, church or not church, Christian or non-Christian, it'd be really easy to do the same. We know Christ has already come and we know he'll come again. But it'd be really easy this Christmas to completely miss what maybe what God wants to do in your life this season. Maybe what he's birthing spiritually in 2020 for you. We're so busy. We've got so many things going on. And so we looked at this as we kicked off this Advent series. We, we had these three points that are coming up here, encouraged us to open or reopen the presents this Christmas. Don't forget that the greatest present this Christmas is not one of those weird eggs that apparently my girls like that have a collector's toy that comes out of it. It's not even Star Wars Lego, which I'm waiting for Noah to be old enough so I could justify buying that. Um, But it's actually already been given through Jesus. And so maybe, if nothing else this Advent season, love to encourage you to open or reopen the presence of God into your life. Then we talk about letting the presence grow you, protecting it, holding on to it, letting it change and transform you for the better. And then share the presence was our final and third point. And we're going to stay on those this whole month. Open, reopen the presence, let the presence grow and share the presence. But before we do that, I'm going to have a look at our next slide and I want to talk about the tin cans. So I had this image when I was thinking about what stops us, what stopped the people in the very first Christmas um, hearing and knowing and understanding what God was doing and what stops us today. I had this image of Kevin in the home alone throwing these tin cans, these paint cans. And I had this picture of Jesus. It says that Jesus is at your door. It says Jesus is knocking at the door. And it's not just Christmas, it's every time of the year. Jesus is there wanting to go into your life, wanting to be reopened, wanting to be enter your life, wanting to do a work in you. I think one of the biggest shames is we use this language sometimes around this door knocking picture and we say something like, Jesus wants to come into your heart and we make it sound like he wants to come in and have a cup of tea. (laughs) Doesn't say anywhere in the Bible about coming into your heart ever. He wants to come in 
and radically mess with your life in all the right ways. He wants to come in. He didn't come and humiliate himself as a baby the first Christmas. Come into the mess in a cave, grow, teach, be ridiculed, stand against the oppression and then set us all free by these death on the cross so that he'd come in and just have a cup of tea. He wants to give you life. He wants to stop you producing death. He wants sin to stop and he wants to grow and produce life. So he's knocking and like the very first Christmas, I'm guilty of this, I won't say if you are, but we sometimes find ways to throw tin cans at him and try to get him out the door. Don't you dare come into that part of my life, Jesus. Your presence is allowed here, around the back maybe, but I've put tar all over the stairs, so you're going you're gonna to stick to it. I don't know, what, I'm trying to think of other traps. He puts toys out there. Come on, Edwards girls, I know you've seen Home Alone. What's some other traps? You haven't. Oh, wow, there's John. We'll have a chat. And an elder here as well. We might have to have a chat. Just calling it now emergency eldership meeting afterwards. <laughs> no, no. So someone who has seen, Jono. Elder Jono, tell me about Home Alone. What other traps does Kevin set? Yes, yep. Nice. Yes. Yeah, very nice, very nice. John, observe. <laughs> no, no, sorry. So anyway, point, not point is not to put down my elders on Christmas. It's to, um, it's to say we set up these traps, I believe, and we miss it. And I've called them present blockers. Presence blockers. We block him sometimes. So let's have a look at someone in the story we just read, and that's what we're going to be looking at, this guy called Herod. This is a guy I did a ton of reading on, only to find this morning I can't open it. But let me give you a couple of facts I do remember reading about Herod. Herod was a family name, and so you'll read about Herod in, ongoing in the Bible, and you'll go, does this guy live forever? No, quite often he'd pass Herod on to his son. It'd be King Herod. What we do know about this Herod is he's highly ambitious. We know that he actually innovated the water system in Rome and he also had a couple of mines which he leased out to other places. We know he helped build, this, like extend the second temple. We, we know that he actually added to it. Um, scholars will say that he did it for his own glory. He wanted Jer Jerusalem to be on the map and he wanted favour with the Jews. He actually did quite a few awesome things in a worldly kind of view. We know he was so ambitious that at one stage, just before he became what is king of the Jews, and I'll explain that in a moment, he was on his way up, working his way up, and another family line, Caesar said, actually, I'm going to take this family line and now be king. So he left his wife and kids and quickly married into that family so that he could secure this very sought-after job. Herod was the guy, do you know in school where there's always a kid in the class that goes and tells the teachers everything that's going on in exchange for lollies. And never, the students never know what to think of that kid. They might call him a snitch. They never know if he's on their side because he's just going to go to the teacher and the teacher awards him or her with lollies. At least there was a few of those when I was in school. Herod was like that. So he'd been given this position of power what they called king of the Jews. But what that really meant is he'd keep the peace for Caesar in this Jewish community. They had their king, which they didn't really want him, 
because what he did is he farmed the taxes and heavily so he could do these great big buildings and kept them poor, kept them paying money to Caesar and in exchange they gave him power. Caesar. Back to Caesar. Caesar at that time, if you don't know, the, the running myth that Caesar was trying to give out was that he was half God, half man. And so he was trying to keep control of everything and so he put this guy Herod in place. Highly ambitious. But Herod wasn't building God's kingdom. In fact, most historians agree he was building Herod's kingdom. Herod was the king of his kingdom. So much so that we just read that what happens is, so the wise men come to Herod and they say, and they're from the east, right? They're not even part of the main we know that they're probably not even part of the Jewish community, yet they're reading the scriptures. They've, they're taking a look and they see this star in the sky and they say, we think the king of the Jews is coming, the Messiah. So where do they go to? Who do they think will know? They go to Herod. They think, of course, the king who's in the know with the Jews will know that the next king is coming. So they go tell him out of excitement. And you can kind of picture there's this dialogue. He's like, What? I didn't read that in the Bible and you know he hasn't probably ever read the Torah because then he gets the priests around him and says does it talk about this Messiah and they say yeah it actually even tells you where he's going to be born and so they read Micah 5 too which tells it'll be uh, what it says will be born in like the language it uses is born in a runt of a city <laughs> the smallest of all the cities the, the like yeah the lowest and the, the little weak one Bethlehem he doesn't even know scripture. He's king of the Jews and he doesn't even know the own prophecies. He's completely blind. And I've said three things I reckon we can see in him that blind Herod, that he's got his cans out and he's blocking the presence of God or trying to that Christmas. And they're just going to come up here. We've got pride. He's all about Herod's kingdom. He's king of his kingdom. He can't get over that there could be another thing going on, another thing outside of Herod's reach. And so he struggles with control. So we know he tells the wise men that go report, go tell me about this baby. They think he's excited. They find out later in a dream, it's because he wants to kill him. And then fear. So scared of him losing his kingdom we know that he actually, in Matthew, or the verse read, he actually asks for the babies in Bethlehem under two, the little boys, to be killed. Of his own people. That's how much, I guess, respect he had for his own people. He's happy to kill their kids to make sure he stays king. It blinds him. And so this Advent season, let's turn it back on us for a moment. Let's think through some of this. Let's think through pride, control, and fear. And so a couple of questions to ask you. This morning, and I actually want to be careful. I'm actually, let me just say this before I say these points, a bit of a disclaimer. If you're ambitious this morning, if you have godly inspiration if you're growing a business or you're working hard or you have creativity and you're building something, I'm not saying that's the evil part. 
That's great. That's what God said. The first thing he does is here's the garden. Cultivate it. Grow it. Look after it. Steward it. It's to whose glory, it's whose kingdom are you building? Or better yet, who's the king of that kingdom? And so what if God wanted to do something new in your life? You're going along life, and I give the questions to ask yourself about pride, control, and fear. What if God wanted to do something new in your life this morning? What if God actually wanted you to change career? What if God actually wanted you to step back and have more space? They're the type of questions that can help us know whose kingdom we're actually listening to. And they're hard questions. Would you act on it? If you knew God was saying, I want you to take a pay cut. If you knew God was saying, I want you to downsize. If you knew God was saying, I want you to change what you're studying at uni. If you knew God was saying, actually, that person you're dating isn't right for you. Would you act on it? And in 2019, here's the scary bit. I reckon the challenge, at least for me, isn't would I act on it? It's would I even hear it? Would I have even have asked him? Would I have even made the time? Which Herod obviously hadn't done. Because all he needed to do is flick open the Torah, which has hundreds of prophecies around the Messiah, for him to know that a king was coming. Would you even hear him? Right now, do you even know? And I'm not saying this out of... The idea of Advent isn't guilt for... It's challenging us this season. Would you even have heard him this year? Would you have even asked him? And the moment he sort of says, Oh, I think you should go... Oh, no, thanks God. Thank you for that encouragement. (laughs) Paint can. And so pride, control, and then we get scared and we do some stuff that's nasty and we're fearful. If you're taking notes, ask yourself those questions. What if God wanted to do something new in your life this Christmas? What if he wanted to tell you something new for 2020? What if he wanted you to step down, step sideways, step into and would you actually hear him? What have you asked him? So often I, I'm challenged. This is probably my greatest. I'll share with you. And then you know that it's, if the pastor can share his weaknesses, you're totally okay to share yours as well because we're human. I reckon my biggest weakness is we're asked to follow Jesus, but I get like two Ks down the road and I look back and there's Jesus walking in his sandals and quickly run back behind him because I've got to follow him, not try to run ahead, not tell him where I think he's going. That's one thing I need to work on in 2020. There you go, there's mine. Now we're going to go individually and tell... No, we're not. (laughs) But hopefully you're thinking about that small table, which we're going to look more at next year, and you're looking at people that you could share that with. And you can say, hey, I think God's telling me this. Would you even hear him? So, where's the encouraging part then? What do we do? Well, let's look at some other characters in this story. I want to talk about some men that were very wise. And not much is said about them, but what is said about them is quite impressive because they find ways, I think they find ways, to cut our paint can tins <laughs> down to clean up the tar. What's, there's an iron. I have a visual of an iron hitting the guy in the head. I think that's the most painful bit. Um, so get rid of the iron <laughs> 
Get rid of the protection of your house. Get rid of the pride. Get rid of the, the control and get rid of the fear. There's three things they do. The first thing they do to cut down pride is these guys spend a long time pursuing this cause. So I don't want to ruin your nativity scene. Keep the wise men there. The Bible actually tells us they come a couple of years later. Don't want to, I'm not, I hope I haven't ruined anyone's Christmas. You can keep them there. But they come a couple of years later. But it's still pre- it's prettier with them there on the night. I get that. But they, but they start the journey before he's born. So we've got these Eastern, non-Christian or non-Jewish people that have got enough space in their life that are humble enough that they're seeing the bigger picture. And they say, even though they probably studied the scripture, but they are not... Unlike all the Jews and the king himself and all the priests of that time, they're seeing something that's going on that the others can't. Now, hang on, has anyone noticed that giant star in the sky? Has anyone noticed how these scriptures are aligning? We're going to spend, we can only assume, probably five, four years pursuing this thing. So to cut down to pride, there's humility there. There's humility there. To cut down control... There's a sense of surrender. We know from their gifts, frankincense, myrrh and gold, that they're pretty rich, they're pretty important. They've built something themselves. We know from historians will say that is actually, that could have been the very thing that helped start, support Jesus' original ministry. We don't know that, speculation. But these are wealthy gifts. These are thought-after gifts. These are gifts that you give a baby to clean a baby, but they're also gifts you give a dead man. As if they know through the scripture that this baby is born to die. Very wise men indeed. So they have other stuff going on. Wise men like that (laughs) have a couple of things they're working on at that time, but they sacrifice, surrender and humble themselves because they know there is a greater king, there is something going on. And then the last one, fear. Fear is cut down when we're generous. Generosity or celebration, I reckon, is in this case the opposite of fear. They know how to stop on Christmas night or a couple of years later and just freely give because they know who the king is. When you trust where everything's coming from, when you trust that God has gone before you, when you trust that God has a bigger picture, when the presence is flowing through you, all of a sudden you're not in a rush to that next meeting. You can be present with that person because God's got it. You can be generous with your time. When you know that God is the God that has everything, you know you can be generous with your stuff, your home, your things, your money. You have the time to celebrate and spend four or five years pursuing something when you know it is greater than anything else that the world offers. Humility, surrender and generosity. That's why they got it. That's why they were able to hear God the very first Christmas. And of course, if that's not enough... You're like, oh, well, there's not that much written on the wise men. Is that enough to go off? Then let's talk about the baby in the picture. (laughs) The baby that would grow up, humble himself to be born in a manger or can be translated cave. 
in a messy time to parents who feel unequipped in a dangerous time where kings want to kill it, where priests are taken back by the teaching that would grow up and surrender himself to the father's plan and then in the ultimate act of generosity would give it all and die for you so that you could have that presence in your life. You could be back to the father's table. That you could be welcome to that, I guess, the end of time, the advent, the, the final advent the king returning to his kingdom in that wedding banquet, the ultimate act of generosity. Pretty good for a present that's already been given. We only need to reopen it. And so I come back to those three points this morning. Church, simple but profound challenge. Humble yourself this Advent. Ask God to reveal the paint cans that need to come down, that you're trying to uh, control, that you're maybe too prideful to see. Surrender yourself to a greater thing that's going on and then be generous with it. Reopen the present. Let the presence grow you and share the presence this Advent. And how we're doing that, church, we challenge you really simple practice I'm asking the entire church, and we asked last week, and I've been so encouraged by the stories coming back. Been asked us um, to each day, as we're reading through the Advent readings, spend 15 minutes with God. Not 15 minutes praying. I've asked us to spend 15 minutes of being silent. So read the readings, and then spend 15 minutes of just sitting and listening to God. He might have something to say. He might be wanting to birth something in your life in 2020. He might want to change something about your kingdom and put him in it. I forgot to do it one time this week, and I'll be honest, I could make a million excuses, but it comes down to the reason I wouldn't do it is it was probably out of pride. I was too busy. I thought I was important. I thought the next thing I needed to go to was too important. It was control. I'll do it. At lunchtime, I work at a church. I'll find time at the church to do it. Lunchtime passed. I'll do it tonight. And then you justify it. Oh, do you know what? I should be spending time with my wife and my kids. But I could still sacrifice 15 minutes. They could get the other 45. Anyone that's missed it this week, I guarantee you can tell yourself whatever you want. 24 hours in a day, it comes down to we thought we had something better to do. And so again, not trying to guilt us this Advent, but and, and look, I've just given you permission. I missed one of them, almost missed one yesterday because I was preparing these, the most amazing notes you've ever seen. <laughs> How good's that as a justification? Oh, I can't spend time with you, God. I'm delivering a message, sermon. Pastors have the best type of justification, but it doesn't cut it. God's saying, well, whose message is it? You can spend 15 minutes having a bit of a listen to what I might want to say tomorrow. Amen. So let me just leave you with that. Let me get you to consider this Christmas, Herod, what he missed out on and what the wise men got to be a part of because they surrendered themselves, they were humble and they were generous and they got to be there and they got life. They got to see the son of God born. You get to live in the presence of God and breathe life. You get to share life with people instead of death. This is one good present. 
Maybe it's time to reopen it, reconsider this, this Christmas. Let me pray. I'm going to ask the band to come up. And um, yeah, we'll pray. Father God, as we consider the first Christmas, as we consider this season of Advent, we consider the holy presence of God that wants to, is standing at that door, Lord. And he's not standing. We know you're not standing there just politely wanting to see if we want to spend a little bit of time with you. You want to come in and breathe life into our lives. You want to stir and make us grow. You want us to look more like you. You want us to be more patient, have more joy at Christmas, be more peaceful, be more loving, be more generous. Father, I pray that only your spirit can reveal the things in our life that are blocking us from you and then as we're going to talk in a couple of weeks, blocking from others. What's stopping us, Lord, from listening to you? Father, I feel like a big one for anyone that's been around church long enough is it's church hurt. I just pray that if this church, other churches have hurt someone and they are scared to step out, Lord, I pray that they could surrender that to you and let go and once again reopen the presence of God. Father, for others, it's about being the king of their own kingdom. And I pray that they can find ways to put you at the top, Lord. Find ways to create, build, innovate, encourage, cultivate. But to your glory, under your ultimate purpose, to be Jesus in that sense. And for others that are standing on the brink of something 2020, and it's scary, Lord, I pray that you give them that boldness. That they know that you're there and that they can be generous in that, that they can give themselves to that because you're with them. Speak to us in this time, that we're in this practice where we're going to spend some time listening this week and next week up into Christmas, Lord. Comfort us, bring us peace, bring us challenges and speak to us in that time of listening, Lord. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. Amen.